And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I am your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I have to tell you, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably and doing so many other things, you know, like producing this show. We love Fullscale.io. Definitely check them out. So today we have with us, I'm very excited to talk about this particular topic. We have with us Will Peng, and he is CEO and co-founder of Northstar. Uh, Northstar is a fintech company, and Will's going to tell us all about it, but I am super excited to talk about financial wellness. Uh, Will, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I, I, I'm really excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, so let's 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 kick right into it. You know, I, I am very, very uh, aware that you have many demands on your time. And so I want to hop right in and I'm just going to ask you, tell us about your journey. Will. yeah, my 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 journey started uh, all the way back to when I was born. I was actually born in Taiwan um, and had a classic Asian-American immigrant story. My uh, parents uh, moved their entire family, uh, which I have a lot of respect and admiration for, to the U.S. and to the state. Uh, actually, our family, my atomic family is still, uh, my entire extended family is still in Taiwan. So uh, they didn't know any English. Uh, they uh, didn't have very much money in their bank account. Uh, and, and so uh, I was lucky enough to go to a great college, but also graduated with a ton of student debt. And... Uh, when I was when I graduated, was thrown into the real world and uh, didn't really have anybody to turn to to figure out what best to do with my student loans, my personal my personal finances in general, savings, uh, my retirement plans, choosing the right health insurance, and so I made all the mistakes. I learned the hard way, and that was I think the first moment that I realized the uh, challenges that I faced were actually quite common, uh, and. Um, the majority of Americans actually face these problems as well. So um, that, that's kind of really been the foundation of a lot of why we do what we do uh, and uh, what drives me and motivates me. That is awesome. I so, so I find that the, the most fascinating and often the most successful entrepreneurs and founders are those who use their own personal experiences to inform their their companies and their missions and their products and so so I think it's super cool that you have been able to turn what was probably a pretty stressful distressing uh, period of time in your life you know financial uncertainty is tough um, th- and it touches every aspect of our lives so the fact that you were able to turn that into a positive uh, not just for yourself but for our community that that's really powerful um, so I think it's it's important that we acknowledge and honor that you know congrats on on being able to turn that around. Thank so, you. Yeah, it, it's yeah. something that uh, I also uh, have found it's really important to 
recognize our stories behind our personal finances. So often when you look up articles or people talk about personal finances, it's always about the dollars and cents and the numbers. Right. Uh, so much of it is around uh, our emotions and our relationship with money. And so much of that comes from our upbringings. Uh, and uh, for example, like the uh, traditional Asian American upbringing, my parents risked everything. And when they found out that I was going to start a company, they were like, why are you risking everything again? Like we, we made these decisions yeah, to give you, you the opportunity. <laughs> why don't you go find a steady job, like a doctor or a lawyer? Man, that, you know, your, your experience, that, that is such a powerful testament. Um, so, so you would say, you know what, I'm going to go personal with this and I don't typically, but you just inspired me. So, so would you say that your, your parents and your upbringing was risk averse? Yeah, it was very much so. And I think there's uh, a lot of the uh, guidance they gave me around what classes to take, very much around uh, STEM courses and um, the classic stories that many of you, you have probably heard of around, uh, you got to learn violin. I played violin since the second grade. And these are all ways to build a set of skills to create opportunity for us. Uh, and I didn't recognize that at the time, but in hindsight, I, I recognize and I appreciate that, that a lot, but also the ways that it affects my attitude towards personal finances. And yeah. you would think that somebody who started a company related to personal finances would maybe have, have it all figured out, but the, that's not the case at all. Um, I still, uh, work with my own financial advisors and they, uh, were kind of trying to figure out, uh, why, why am I so risk averse still, which is kind of ironic, right? Given the fact that. Yeah, uh, I was, I, that was actually, believe it or not, it was actually going to be my follow-up because entrepreneurship yeah. is not for the, the faint of heart and it, it's an enormous risk. I think um, that probably yeah. can, contributes to it actually, where it yeah. may not make sense uh, on the service level, but because I've taken on so much personal and career and financial risk with the majority of my net worth in my company, uh, with the rest of my money, I try to be, uh, I think maybe I naturally react in the opposite direction, sure. um, but also because of my parents' attitudes where it's like, uh, this idea that debt is bad. Uh, I think this is very common in the Asian American community yeah. uh, that you shouldn't owe somebody money because that's just that, that creates risk for your life. So keeping way too much money in cash in your checking account oftentimes literally in cash is a problem that, uh, I, I think my parents still do a lot of that as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, especially with things like inflation this year in particular, um, definitely risk aversion can actually hurt you, uh, rather than and this idea of risk being something that could be positive or a tool is yeah. something that I'm still getting used to. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think, you know, with the the advent of the pandemic, I think a lot of our, our social norms and our, our cultural ideals around this society that we've built, they're definitely changing. I mean, you, you even when you look around at our, I guess, um, our employer, we used to have an employer driven culture. And now we have an employee driven cultures because culture because we have so many individuals who are willing to say, Hey, I, I am not willing to sacrifice my health, my well being my mental state to stay in a position that doesn't pay well, treat me well, value what I'm doing, which is why we have this great, uh, what, what is it called the great resignation? 
Yeah. You know, we have so many people who are leaving jobs when before, for many, it would have been unheard of to leave a job without having another job. And so, so I mean, it's really interesting to see these little tendrils of societal and cultural change that are coming about. But I, I, I find it fascinating that you have taken, uh, you were able to conflate risk aversion and uh, risk decision in being an entrepreneur, what personally protecting while publicly doing a very risky thing. Um, so I have to ask you, how do your parents feel now? To be honest, I don't know if they still know what I do. Uh, I think I think they know that I started a company and it's related to helping people with their personal finances. But on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't think they understand. But uh, I think they've, uh, I think maybe it was like five years ago when they got past the point of uh, uh, disagreeing with my life and career decisions. Um, and I think they've actually become, uh, this is big for the, uh, the Asian American listeners out there. I think they actually said, told me that they were proud of me uh, recently. Um, and so uh, How did that feel? I, I was like, are, is everything okay? <laughs> are you, you okay? Out? Like, I feel like that would have been a hug it out. It was, over the, it was over the phone. I actually haven't seen okay. my parents for, for over two years because of COVID. They live in oh, Maryland. Man. Uh, I, live in, I live in LA. Uh, and they're pretty conservative, uh, risk averse with uh, with uh, sure. with uh, kind of COVID and the vaccine. Tracks for sure. <laughs> well, I, I am I am very glad that you had that moment. So so talk to us about North Star. Um, give us your elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we North Star is a, a financial wellness company, uh, and we partner with employers. Uh, to your point of uh, kind of em the employment environment changing uh, over the past decade or so. Uh, so we partner with employers uh, to give employees access to the best possible financial advice. Uh, and our mission, as you can probably tell from my personal story, is to make financial best practices available to everyone, to the 100%. Uh, I think the uh, so often, for the longest time, financial advice has been uh, not available to uh, most people because of the cost. Uh, and we have this saying that like you shouldn't need money to make money. Uh, so it's really awesome to partner with employers who believe in the similar mission, uh, but also uh, want to uh, invest in kind of the employee experience. Um, I believe strongly that uh, we're way past the days of working at a job, getting a salary and uh, saying kind of good luck. Um, like every single uh, kind of offer and compensation and benefits package needs, needs to come with uh, uh, instruction manual, basically, on how to best make decisions for, for your personal situation. Right. Um, and what's really cool about what, like why we partner with employers is that uh, we don't just give advice around your salary, but it encompasses everything you get from your employer. So it's your retirement and your 401k plans. It's uh, choosing the right health insurance plan, which may not sound like it's financial wellness, but health is actually one of our biggest expenses, both for the right. employee as well as the employer, and can have a huge impact on our personal finances, especially if we have a, an emergency, uh, but also like the day-to-day -day, like premiums and deductibles and all these different terms that are thrown around. So we also help make decisions around that based on your life situation. Um, if you get equity compensation through work, um, for example, you work at a tech company, that is such a significant part of a compensation package, but people mostly don't understand it. Uh, and so we help with that a lot. So 
um, it, it's been pretty incredible. We, we work with uh, employers like Snap and Zoom, just to name a few. Um, and, and it's been really rewarding to see the impact that we've been able to have on, on uh, mem- our members' uh, financial well-being. That, yeah, no, that sounds incredible. And I have to tell you, as someone who often feels lost when it comes to to matters of finance, just knowing that there is a tool and an opportunity available to me to, I don't know, figure all of that out. Would you say that you're democratizing access to financial wellness? Because that's what I'm hearing, but correct me if I'm wrong. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what we're doing. There are so many different, uh, it's back to my personal story. Uh, there, not only are people, and I think there's a aspect of diversity, equity, and inclusion here as well, where, um, like if you start your career in debt, uh, in some cases, people are in hundred thousand dollars in student debt, which is crazy. Um, you're, you're already starting behind, behind the starting line. Uh, but not only that, do you have access to advice to figure out how to dig yourself out of it? So, uh, it's, it's, uh access to knowledge and expertise and kind of personalized guidance that um, uh, we want to level the playing field uh, so that people can uh, can really uh, bridge the gap between uh, people who have money and people who don't yet have money. Sure. Well, so, so I want to ask you, I, I have a million things that I want to ask you, but one of the first things that I want to ask you is, is investment in North Star. Because I, I, I've been kind of looking over the information you've had, uh, several funding rounds. Uh, you've raised some capital, my friend. And I, I want to ask you why you think that is in a, in a really saturated market where all entrepreneurs and founders are clamoring for opportunity. I, I'd like you to take a moment to brag on yourself a little bit. What makes you a saleable, billable asset for a an investor? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And uh, a lot of it is, to preface all of it, is luck. Uh, but I, I understand that um, there are other aspects I, I to it as well. I believe that like fifty percent of that. I just want, like, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just wanted to start with that—that that I'm incredibly grateful for all of our investors and and team members who ha- have have believed in the same mission. Um, but I think what's, um, I think it's the combination of things that uh, made us and my co-founder and I such an interesting investment when we were basically raising money on a pitch deck. Um, was a combination of a few different factors. But first and foremost is the authenticity that we have around the problem. Uh, the I think there are obviously plenty of founders who have founded successful businesses that um, didn't have uh, the problem themselves. Maybe they went out and kind of analyzed the business or maybe they have background in that space. But um, the fact that we are building uh, solutions for our own problems um, is really big because... Uh, and this is speaking from the perspective of, um, I actually, before starting North Star, uh, was a VC. So I, uh, actually spent some time ah, investing in startups. You have a very unique take on this question then. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a very weird background. Um, I actually started my career as a product designer. Um, I compl- I'm completely self-taught. Um, and my major in college, uh, the actual name was operations research and financial engineering. Uh, it's a really interesting applied math major, uh, kind of understanding how to make decisions under uncertainty, um, supply chains, but also part of it was around how we destroyed the economy in 2008. So we learned how to build CDOs, um, 
and just academically pretty interesting to understand the uh, reasons, the structural reasons that led to the collapse in 2008. Um, but just like from a practical and perhaps moral perspective, like I wasn't, didn't, didn't want to go into that industry. So a lot of my friends work at quant funds, um, hedge funds uh, on Wall Street. Um, so I actually ended up working in startups as a product designer. Uh, so that's a, a bit of a background that contributes to this, to, that, to this as well to answer your question. Um, so it was kind of this combination yeah, of- I, Hold on, time out. I do want to take a moment to just acknowledge that you're an interesting dude. <laughs> oh, thank you. That is that is not the I, I would say that is not the typical path that most uh, founders take. So now you understand why my parents were so stressed about me. I you know I I kind of I do feel like I understand your parents a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> it must have been thrilling, enthralling, and seriously nerve wracking to watch you work. But please continue. <laughs> <laughs> There's I'll tell a story that that was pretty nerve wracking uh, for my parents and for myself to be honest. I was um. I was still in college and this was like around when the economy was crashing. Uh, and I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I basically got one of my first internships through Twitter. Uh, and this is when Twitter was first starting up. Um, and there was a firm, a VC firm in, in New York city called RRE ventures. And, uh, I was, was kind of messaging with one of the managing partners there, Jim Robinson, uh, shout out to Jim Robinson. And, uh, I noticed that their analyst was leaving for a new role. And I was like, hey, are you hiring? And he's like, no, but come on in. I uh, showed up with like a whole SWOT analysis, uh, trying to pretend to be an MBA of their oh, entire man. portfolio. And uh, they were like, who is this kid? Um, and and uh, on, the, on the train ride back down to New Jersey, I, uh, I got a DM from him. He was like, I, I can still find it. Uh, he was like, you want a job, you have it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so uh, again, my parents were like, what is, what is happening? Uh, but uh, so my senior year in college, I actually uh, was a horrible student and took the train up Wednesday uh, and skipped some of my classes and uh, basically worked as an analyst at, at, at a VC firm. Um, and uh and then after the, after I graduated, I, I worked as a product designer at, a, at one of the startups that I had sourced uh, an investment in. Um, so that's kind of some background there as well. Um, but uh, a lot of oh uh, random paths that uh, uh, I went through. Um, but to, to answer you, to go back to your question of like, why, um, why us? Like, why, why are we investable? Um, I think it is the, the combination of all of those things. It's like, at the time, it didn't make any sense to me. But in hindsight, all of these different skills and knowledge and experiences um, uh, are ha have been really helpful. Um, and you know what's interesting is that um, for at one moment I was actually thinking about I actually did apply for a job at a lot of different companies, all the prominent yeah. tech companies, and I got a lot of maybes, and yeah. it was very confusing because usually you get a yes or a no right when you apply for a job, yeah. But the fifth, maybe I was like, what's happening here? Because nobody knew how to put me in a box. They were like, are you a product manager? Are you a product designer? Are you like, what are you? And, uh, but they were like, we're really excited about you, but we don't know where to put you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that was, uh, that was a really interesting experience. And like, it's kind of like, this is the only thing that I could be doing. It's this like weird crossover between product design and venture capital and being a founder. So, um, uh, but yeah, so that, I think that's like, 
what was uh, what were the factors that like we, why we were able to raise in a pitch deck? My, my co-founder is very very impressive in his own right, um, and uh, but yeah, I think it was a combination of uh, ability to actually well, first off, like I said before, authenticity around the problem, so that right. we're, we we we're building for ourselves. And therefore, we can iterate to product market fit faster. The second is the ability to actually build without having to hire builders. So my co-founder is a CTO, an uh, engineer, uh, and I did the design and I wrote really bad code um, and also kind of handled the business side of things. But at the very beginning of the phase of a business, it's all about building. Uh, there's not really much on the kind of corporate side that you need to handle. Um, so that was really important as well. So we could get up and running in a very capital efficient way. Um, and then finally, as we've scaled now, um, I've, I'm finding that my experience as a VC has been invaluable uh, to kind of understand the strategy and kind of what the direction, uh, how to guide the company uh, in a direction uh, that, that makes sense. So um, sure. yeah, so those are, those are some of the factors that I think uh, were, were uh, exciting to our investors. I gotta tell you, like I, I, I feel as though I'm getting so much insight into you as an individual, and I love it. Like you, you, you're, you've really taken us on a journey, uh, <laughs> and, and I dig that. That's, uh, that's what we always hope for. So, so. Really quickly, I do just want to bust in and I want to say, um, you know, thank our episode sponsors. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of you are out there building tech products. And if you are looking for a team to get behind you so that you're not just, you know, in a darkened basement with Cheeto dust on your fingers, trying to do it all alone and trying to figure it out. Um, full scale is, is definitely the way to go. They have a, an amazing responsive team. Um, they have built up systems and ways to make it as easy as possible for founders to build their tech products. So we definitely recommend that you check them out. Fullscale.io. Uh, we certainly love them around the startup hustle halls. Uh, they are one of our big, big episode sponsors, producers of the show. So definitely show your support if you are able. Thank you so much, Fullscale. <laughs> uh, today we have with us Will Peng of North Star, and we are talking, well, we're talking about a lot of things that I actually was not anticipating that we would talk about. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to bring it around to, to that, that product piece. Um, you know, you said that you spent a little bit of time as a product manager. And so, so I'm going to ask you, talk to us about the user experience of, of North Star. So you're reaching out to employers, building relationships with them, so hoping that they will offer North Star as a financial planning benefit, an added benefit to their employees, correct? Yeah. And yeah, so so, the, yeah, yeah. So, so tell us what that looks like. Yeah. So the way that we think about the user experience is that it needs to be a combination of the tools that you use to uh, actually receive and execute on the plan. The financial plan and the advice that you get, but also working with an actual human advisor. Yeah. Uh, this may be a surprise to some people in a world where we're moving more towards automation. But uh, like I said before, personal finances are more nuanced than just the dollars and cents. If it were as simple as going and reading blog posts, uh, then we this wouldn't be as big of a problem. But uh, we found that when somebody has some a, a, an advisor they can speak to, somebody they can trust. Uh, somebody who they've built a relationship with, 
uh, that's not a call center of advisors who's like a Q&A. This is somebody you are paired with and you work over with over a long period of time, perhaps an even, even an entire lifetime through different life stages. Um, it makes a huge difference in uh, people's ability to create change and change their behavior and, and improve their finances. Um, so that's really at the core of what we do is that balance of uh, the human and financial advisor experience. Everybody's a CFP on our team. Uh, and uh, combining that with the self-service tools to, to manage your finances. Um, on the user experience itself, that's obviously really important to me. Um, the way that we think about that is how can we rethink the way that we display financial information as well as help people take action on that, that advice? Because underlying all of this is a behavioral psychology problem. It's not fun to do things, not fun to eat vegetables. It's not fun to put money in your savings account for most people. It's right. more fun to buy something uh, or buy an experience. Yeah, that instant gratification piece is hard to, to get over right. for sure. <laughs> right. So we're battling natural human psychology here. So what are the ways that we can rethink the user experience of personal finance tools from first principles? And uh, whether it be on how do you think about cash flow? I mean, I think that uh, one of the decisions that we made from a product perspective is that the primary uh, behavior, the action that you perform on Northstar isn't to log in and uh, categorize your transactions of where yeah. you spent your money. I think that's definitely a useful tool if you've overspent or you're trying to get some insights, but on a day-to-day -day basis, that just doesn't, that's not fun. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a naturally decaying behavior. Uh, people just naturally drop off. So the way that we approach cash flow, for example, is first, what's your financial plan? What are your goals? But then the, we, appro we approach cash flow in terms of like, what, do you what money do you have to work with on a, on a regular basis? Yeah. So we kind of take almost like an accounting approach, like, P like a, like a P&L, where the money comes in from your paycheck. Some money of that, some of that money goes into, uh, into your taxes. Uh, Uncle Sam. And then some of it goes towards your pre-tax accounts, like your 401k. Um, the remainder of that, we make sure that you have enough to pay your bills first, your regular recurring bills, mm -hmm. um, like your rent, uh, your utilities. And then after that, we make sure that you move money into uh, different buckets for your goals. So let's say you're trying to balance saving for your emergency fund and paying off your student debt. Yeah. We'll help you figure out the right amount to transfer each paycheck. And we can actually move the money for you. That's something that I saw when I was investing in startups. Uh, we uh, were lucky enough to be a part of some great companies, including uh, Coinbase and Guideline was a 401k company, Oscar Health, um, and saw the emergence of uh, this new middle layer of infrastructure that allows us to actually move money between bank accounts, between different institutions without the uh, user having to log in to each individual bank website and, and make that transfer. So again, solving that behavioral challenge. So how, how, how can we make it as easy as possible for somebody to take action on the advice that we're giving? And then finally, once we've moved all the money into these different buckets, what's left over is available for spending. So uh, you may have heard of this, uh, this framework in different with different names like the envelope method where some people literally put 
cash into different envelopes I've for different purposes. I've seen people do that or like little jars that are labeled with like, yeah. you know, Europe trip and savings and emergency. Exactly. Yeah. I've definitely, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. And the reason that that works is because of a lot of research that's been done uh, around behavioral psychology. Um, yeah. There's you a that, there's... That instant gratification of seeing the pile of money in each jar, each envelope grow matches right. and almost matches the the kind of satisfaction you would get from making a purchase right right and and you're also setting guardrails where yeah if you run out of money in a certain bucket it is a deliberate action to take money from a different envelope from a different yeah. bucket um so you have to like make that choice and so a lot of this is around the power of default states i think yeah. if you leave all of your money in a checking account or if you spend all of your money on a credit card they make it so easy to overspend because it, it it's it's one bucket of money and, well, and you'll get your bill. Like 30, nobody checks yeah, exactly. their balance every day and checks their transactions. Right. You're just like, I might be getting close to my limit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So with a lot of these frameworks, we've built a user experience where uh, all somebody has to do, low cognitive load is look at kind of whatever is left over for spending. If that number is still positive, within until before the next paycheck or the next month, uh, you're good because you know that your bills are paid for, you know you're contributing to your retirement, you know that you're contributing to pay off your student loans and your emergency fund. You're, you're yeah. kind of like paying yourself first before you spend. Okay, so, so not only are you helping, you know, you're, you're helping your clients and your customers determine the best ways to save in order to reach their goals, but you're do you're, you're sh shining a light on it. You know, yeah. financial liter literacy is no joke. I, I, I do feel I, this is my personal soapbox. I do feel that educational institutions in our country, they fail students when it comes to financial literacy. You know, we send them off and they maybe had a home ec class where they had to make a budget once upon a time, their senior year of high school. And then we're just like, like, hey, go out into the world. Good luck, yeah. and 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 it's a major bummer because because our finances impact so much, uh, yeah. particularly pertaining to the quality of life. Like, how can you, when you're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of need, like, yeah, you want to pay for the rent and you want to pay for the food, but then you also want to have that safety and security of knowing that you have a nest egg and knowing that you have a retirement plan, um, you know, things like that. And so, so yep. the fact that you are allowing for that in a very clear, uh, coachable, concise way, I, I imagine that that has really great impact for your, your customers. Yeah, you're spot on with the financial literacy problem. The, the, the education system doesn't really teach this. Um, and there isn't any guidance on how to take action on it either. So yeah. I, I think it's really interesting to go back to the idea of partnering with employers uh, because employment is the primary source of wealth creation uh, and honestly kind of full life support uh, for the majority of people. Yeah. And this is, and especially some of the macro trends here around, like my father still has a pension, like he's hopefully going to retire soon. And he's, because he worked in the state system for a few decades, he'll get a certain payout from the pension. Right. But we've, you look at the stats, like over the past few decades, we've shifted from pension funds, which is called defined benefit to defined contribution plans like 401k or 
uh, a push towards pre-tax accounts like HSAs. If you remember the uh, debate around uh, the healthcare change, uh, yeah. where a lot of the debate was around, oh, we want to give uh, individuals choice. I think choice was the word that people use, politicians used sure. to argue for the HSA or the FSA. Uh, because, it, I mean, it is a tool that's incredibly powerful. Like the HSA has what's called triple tax savings, where, where uh, and a lot of people don't know that. Um, so, but the problem with choice, whether it be 401ks, which are arguably better because maybe you have more choice for which funds to invest in, low cost index funds, um, you can decide how much you want to put into it, um, yeah. or uh, choosing the right health insurance plan, or uh, HSAs or FSAs. What comes with choice is complexity. And especially to your point that like there isn't adequate financial education or literacy, um, the onus is now on the individual to make the best decisions, but they lack knowledge to do it. Right. So like just take 401ks, how much should I put into my 401k each paycheck? Who knows? If you look at that just as a silo, what if you're, you're deep in credit card debt? Well, maybe you should consider paying off the credit card debt first because there's a higher interest yeah, rate. Those interest rates it's counterintuitive. And then another aspect related to the power of a default states, as we were talking about before, is that because 401ks uh, are, are, it's up to the individual to make the decisions, um, the, oftentimes people do nothing. So they don't contribute to their 401k when it's so important to start contributing early on because of the power of compounding. Right. And so what's, what's been really interesting is that employers have used automatic enrollment in 401ks as one of their only tools uh, as a status quo to uh, try to nudge employees to improve their financial well-being. Yeah. And it's been proven. I mean, I, I don't quote me on the exact stats here, uh, but it, I think the enrollment rates go from something like 20% to 80% just because of the power of default states. I think it, it, people are surprised by how much more they can save uh, when you start to automatically move money into a different account. You don't even, you don't even see it before it hits your checking account. So right. um, I, I think the this theme of default states is really important because doing nothing is actually doing something. And then also I think employers are recognizing that they're in a really unique situation uh, to not necessarily replace the need for financial literacy, but as a moment in time where you're getting your paycheck, you're getting all these benefits, you're getting retirement, uh, an opportunity to actually a unique opportunity that nobody else can to improve employees' financial well-being. Um, and, and so that's kind of one of the macro trends that we're, we're, we're seeing and what, why we, we've grown so quickly over the past couple of years. Well, and I, I, I would add that I, I feel as though it, we are at kind of a sea change. I, I, you know, we, we, I mentioned the great resignation earlier, but I do feel like our, our current job market is, is very much powered by benefits. And when I talk about benefits, I'm not talking about ping pong tables and I'm not talking about beer breaks in the afternoon. I'm talking about real tangible uh, benefits that can greatly impact an employee's quality of life. And so by, yeah. by investing in North Star, employers are saying, not only are we going to pay you, you know, we're going to do the health benefits, we're going to do all those standard options, but we are actually helping you to make an investment in your future. And that has a lot of power for, yeah. for an employee to hear that or a potential employee to hear that and say, oh, my employer cares about me and cares about my financial wellness. Um, so, so I do think that there's a lot of power in that. Now I'm going to ask you, can I ask you a tough question? 
Will. And I Not don't sure. know the answer to it, but it, it might be a tough question. So here it comes. When you're talking about clients for Northstar, one of the, like you keep on mentioning these really big names, um, you know, uh, what were some of them? Did you say pay? And snap and snap. And yeah. So, so when we're talking about di- democratizing access to, to financial wellness, which I think is just so hugely key, what are your strategies or what are you currently doing to engage with employers that have a lot of line level staff? You know, I, when I, when I think about these big companies and in particular, these big tech companies, I don't necessarily think of people who are bereft of resources. Right. (laughs) So, so what, what, what have you put into place to support some of those folks who, you know, are maybe making minimum wage or just above? Uh, Yeah. I I, want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's a great question. And we want to stay true to our mission. Um, There are two kind of key approaches. The first is what does the product or service experience look like to uh, not just provide advice for people who are already wealthy. And the second is making sure that we are proactively trying to speak to employers who have a wide range of uh, kind of backgrounds. And to be clear, Snap and Zoom do have a wide range of backgrounds. They're larger organizations now. uh, So people are paid hourly, uh, for example. Um, So, but on the, on the product and experience side, um, we've made it Really, it's, it's incredibly important to us that we don't just uh, uh, give advice that's like assuming that you have a lot of money. Yeah. Oftentimes, people are deep in debt and need struggle with cash flow, for example. So that is a really core part of our, our product experience. But also from the way that we um, grow and develop our financial advisor team uh, in order to give advice to a diverse uh, range of uh, backgrounds, our advisors themselves need to be have diverse range of backgrounds as well. So making a deliberate effort there, um, we're sponsoring an internship program uh, to uh, uh, provide opportunities for financial advisors from uh, underrepresented backgrounds to be a part of our team. Um, we are we actually successfully uh, the first one recently. Uh, we have a program where we actually um, sponsor. Uh, and pay for the study costs and exam fees to achieve your CFP. Um, I continually stress to our team that uh, the pipeline pipeline problem is not an excuse. I think I saw some dismaying statistics around, I think there are like 300 new African-American CFPs a year. And we want to do our part to changing that. Uh, so that's another thing that we do uh, in terms of the service and the product. But obviously in terms of the types of companies that employers that we want to work with, uh, that's incredibly important as well. So we've been talking to uh, large fast food chains, municipalities. Um, the mission resonates just as much with them. Uh, so it's sure. it's a it's a deliberate effort that we're making so that we're not just something that's a fancy tech company uh, benefit. That that is awesome, and I knew that that's what I was going to hear. I just wanted to ask the question. Uh, so so. It, I have one more question for you, and I've mentioned this on the show multiple times for our our listeners who are playing at home. One of my favorite, favorite things to do on the Startup Hustle podcast is give our entrepreneurs at home actionable, real advice that they can implement in their lives today, tomorrow, uh, in the short term. And so as a financial wellness expert at this point, and you've certainly attacked the problem from multiple different uh, modes and ways of, ways of coming at it, 
what are some things that our, our entrepreneurs can do to promote their own financial wellness, to, to encourage financial wellness within their families? Uh, talk to us about that. What are some, some tips and tricks? You're talking about their a founder's own personal finances? Yeah. I am. <laughs> I decided to. <laughs> it's a it's it's a great question. Um and I I would say uh I appreciate a lot of the passion that people have for uh uh going all in with companies, but as soon as you raise some money, please pay yourself. Uh <laughs> That's. I, I think. Can't tell you how impactful I think that advice is. Like so many founders I have talked to are like reinvest back in the business, reinvest back in the business. <laughs> I'm like, yes, but you are also part of the business. You need to reinvest yeah. in yourself, please. I'm. I mean, to be clear, I'm still below market in terms of what I could be paid elsewhere. Yeah, am I? But, <laughs> but like, you got to pay yourself, and uh, if your investors push back on you, they're not good investors. Yeah. Like, full stop. Uh, it's, it's kind of like when you're in, uh, in, on, on the airplane and they tell you like, put the, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Like, how can you be a good leader for your team and be a good fiduciary for your investors? If you're struggling to make the ends meet, like, you, you just don't have the time and space to be worrying about that. So of course you're not going to be making the big bucks and saving yeah. a ton, but like, like pay yourself. Like that's incredibly important. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody at home who's like, I'm going to pay myself millions at the expense of my right. baby. baby yeah, be reasonable. Business, but, uh... but, but at the same time, like, yeah, like I, I love the, the airplane analogy. You cannot help others unless you first help yourself. So, so all right. That is, that is some really good advice. And it's definitely advice that I, I hope our listeners heed. Um, also definitely hope that our listeners check out North Star. It sounds like you have a really fantastic thing going. Uh, I am going to ask you the human question. Are you ready? I know you've been waiting for it the whole time. I think so. so. Excited. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to ask you one of my favorite, favorite questions. Uh, it is related to travel. I know that we're, you know, still in the midst of a pandemic, no matter what, uh, certain news outlets might tell you, uh, but talk to us about travel. So if you could go anywhere in the whole wide world right now, where would you go? Right now? Um, so I'll give two answers. The first is where some, some place I've already been and other places I haven't been. I'll allow uh, <laughs> Some place I have been is Japan. Uh, I love Japan. Uh, I just love their ethos. I love how they have incredible public transit. Um, and, uh, I just love the culture and, and, uh, sure. uh, the, the kind of multifaceted experiences, uh, in Japan, not just in Tokyo, but around the country as a whole, yeah. um, where I want to go, uh, uh, that I haven't been is, uh, the Galapagos, uh, <sighs> Oh my gosh. Uh, are, you, are you like a science Darwin fan? Is that why? <laughs> Am I about to get really excited or I, just like turtles? I love, I love nature. Um, and uh, one of my most formative experiences is uh, I sold a backpack through Patagonia uh, when, I, in oh, wow. hours, when I was going through an existential crisis. Um, and That's a rough uh, terrain, my friend. Well done. <laughs> it's, it's, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, and 
I feel like I have a lot of respect for, 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 for nature and, uh, the Galapagos has always been on my bucket list for being just an incredible ecosystem, uh, that I'm a little bit concerned that won't be around for much longer. Um, yeah. so obviously you want to go in a very respectful way that doesn't, uh, disturb the environment, leave no trace. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, very cool. Well, I have to tell you, Will, it has been lovely to share this time with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again to our episode sponsor, uh, Fullscale. Fullscale.io can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And we definitely hope that you check them out. Another thing that you should check out, you should definitely check out Andrew Morgan's episodes of the Startup Hustle podcast. He has a focus on e-commerce and he is the Amazon sales master. So if you are looking to position yourself for some really, really awesome sales on Amazon, check out his episodes. I love listening to Andrew. He is a funny guy. Uh, he is a spiritual guy. He is a super smart guy. And I definitely suggest you give him a listen. Check out Startup Hustle. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can find our web series, Startup Hustle TV. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We are highly accessible and we would love for you to join the hustle, join the conversation. Listeners at home, we are so very grateful for you. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to us week after week. Keep on coming back and we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.